0: Welcome to 3AM, What's Keeping You Up at Night, a production of the McFarlane Group. This podcast is determined to bring the good work of our social impact ecosystem to the world through storytelling of challenges face down, celebrations born of hard work and disruption, leveraged from strategies testing the status quo. My name is Deb McFarlane Enright. For this podcast, we continue our pivot through the pandemic series with David Bunch, retiring president and CEO of Fed Choice, Federal Credit Union, headquartered just outside of Washington, D.C. Under David's leadership, their pivot centered on doing more for their clients outside of their banking business and ending the debilitating digital knowledge divide, crippling many in our maturing generations. There is so much to learn. Let's jump in. Well, David, it is so exciting to be talking with you. I'm so proud of you with all of your success. And I thought it would be so interesting to include you in this series, Pivot Through a Pandemic, because everything is changing, including right access to people's resources. So having a credit union I thought would be super interesting and that you're the guy that's running it is really awesome considering we never knew you were going to be a banker when we were 15 or 16. Although you might have, I don't know, maybe we can chat about that. But can you just from like a 30,000 foot view, would you give us a sense of the credit union kind of system and how that sets up?
1: Sure. Well, credit unions were born in the 30s during the, the depths of the Great Depression to help people, to help each other. So as a financial cooperative, Similar to any other type of cooperative, it really depends on the participation of people that join the credit union and become members as opposed to customers of banks. And what credit unions do is within their community, which is defined and chartered by the National Credit Union Administration, federal government, they serve the folks that are in that community. And it really depends on those folks in the community banking with the credit union and then at the same time, those members or others borrow from the credit union. And because we're not for profit, we're not taxable, the benefits are the service is better, the rates are better, both on the deposit side typically as well as on the loan side. And really the biggest part is you're part of a community. You know, you really are part of an intimately small, typically local community, which you know, I support. Nothing against the big boys and the Bank of America's and all those folks out there. They serve a purpose as well they're much more global. They're much more corporate. We're kind of the old mom and pop banks, if you will, before the big banks really came along and took over the world.
0: Well, oh, that's wonderful. It's just because a warm warm fuzzy to the financial world, right? Juxtaposed to other institutions that we know.
1: We're about people, not about profits, but about people.
0: That's awesome. Now that we've set this, and before we gonna go into the thinking about the pivots you guys have been through so successfully, Let's talk about how we know each other.
1: Oh boy, going back in time now.
0: I know, right? (laughs) Two kids from Arlington, Virginia, who I don't know grew up like everybody in our generation says, like the best time ever, but with all the foibles below the surface that we're only now understanding. We go back to Washington Lee High School. And I know it's 75. I know it's not named that right now.
1: Do the math. We just turned 40, though.
0: I like that you're in finance <laughs> and you do your numbers that way.
1: It is. It's a miracle.
0: Heck, my bottom line would look really good. But anyway, it's so good to reconnect with you. And it's really fun to see how folks turn out. So before we get into that, I am really curious about why banking for you, you are a tremendous performer you know we did actually some singing together in the madrigals at Washington Lee and what made you go to into banking and then more specifically and although I can hear it in your voice when you described the credit union model what drove you to go into a credit union model in the finance world
1: you know after of course we all left to go to college you went to Vassar I went to Virginia Tech. You know we really were still trying to figure things out right finished school but i did perform actually through college in some groups and then went on to perform for five seasons at bush gardens in their live entertainment area but i moved to new york in 84 and tried to kind of figure life out up there right and that's a good place to figure things out got involved in real estate up there in the city and realized there was something of an interest there for me on the mortgage side or financing. So after three years of doing some real estate, flying with People's Express Airline, if people remember that, and also working in the club scene, I moved back to the Washington area and took a job with what was then called the Internal Revenue Federal Credit Union. Of course, everybody's familiar with the IRS in one form or another. And that's where it all started for me in 87, was joining that credit union at that time, which was just starting a mortgage operation. And I immediately identified with the personal nature of banking and what I thought banking should be like for people. And back in those days, we were really just serving the IRS and a handful of other federal agencies and providing services to their employees and families. I loved it. I loved what we were able to do to touch the lives of people every day. And because we were not dealing with commercial banking, commercial accounts, we were really working and helping people achieve their dreams. And that's the way it's been, you know, for us over the many years and for our industry, quite frankly, even though we don't have as many credit unions today as we used to back when I first joined the credit union movement, is what we call it. And if you really add up all the assets of the credit unions in the country and compare it to the banks, if you add up every credit union, we're about 7% of the size of the banks. We're really small. But in there is a great mission. And that's really what Fed Choice, I would dare say, every credit union is all about. So I'm a big proponent of credit unions for a lot of reasons. But among those is we're local. We're here for you. Take advantage of it if you have an opportunity to explore joining a credit union or credit unions. You can join as many as you want that you qualify for.
0: That's wonderful, David. Let's just move right into kind of the raison d'etre for the series, because I think this is so exciting to talk about how an institution that is about their members, caring for their members, how did you confound COVID over the last 18 months?
1: You know, like all of us, when we first dealt with COVID, we all thought it would be a few weeks, you know, that, oh, this will all blow past us and we'll be back to work and things will return to normal within two, three, four weeks. And little did we know, a year plus, we're still not back to normal. And I don't think we honestly ever will be because the world changed All of our lives changed quite radically in in the past year, year plus. So we had to deal with that reality, like everybody, both at home, with your families, with your kids, and, and also in your work environment. So for us, of course, being a financial institution, what's very important for most everybody is their money, making sure they can access their money, that their money is safe and secure. And for a lot of our members that we're using online banking, we're using mobile banking, comfortable with using ATMs and credit cards that pivot wasn't so difficult because they were accustomed to already banking with us in essence, remotely, without having the need to go into a branch. But for our older members, which I'm very sensitive to, or I'll say legacy members, they were not so comfortable with using even an ATM card or a debit card had never used online banking and certainly had never used mobile banking. In fact, a lot of these folks had flip phones, you know, they didn't have smartphones. So When we had to shut down our branches because of the safety of both our staff and our members, we really had to pivot very quickly and aggressively to reach out to these members that we knew were kind of feeling abandoned. They were stranded because they couldn't get to their money. Our drive-ups were closed. Our branches were closed. They didn't have a debit card or ATM card to get money. And they were really struggling. And we wanted to reach out to every one of these members that we could target because we knew they would often go to our branches so we could quickly identify them and reach out to them, kind of holding their hand to help them or their family get online, get on mobile, get that ATM card or debit card or credit card so they could, in essence, reconnect with what's so important to them as their money. So that was the immediate need for our members was to make sure that they were okay We're not product pushing. We wanted to make sure they were okay. And we reached out to them and just checked in on them to make sure that they were not only healthy and safe, but they were stable financially. And if there was anything we could do to help them, we were there to do so. That was really our critical pivot initially. With our staff, we had to be very sensitive and aware of their struggles. You know, all of a sudden having to get them to work from home. Sometimes in the center of the house, you know, in the kitchen table, which can be crazy with other kids running around and all the distractions. How are you going to be able to work from a kitchen table? Being sensitive to that, getting the equipment set up in their homes, and more importantly, to feel part of a community. Because, you know, when you work together every day and then all of a sudden you don't, and that period of time goes from a week to a month to a year, it's so, so important to keep your staff engaged to keep supporting each other we did things you know for staff such as just giving them a lunch you know a surprise knock on the door and a lunch or a gift card things to say hey hang in there we're in this together we will make it through this together basically to retain that sense of community in very different ways from when we all used to go to our branches or to our headquarters building so those were the immediate things that we did and i think we did well in the sense that we had to think of very creative ways to recognize effort, to support each other on every level, including emotionally, just being there, a sounding ear, empathetic voice to make sure that you were not alone, even though you were working from home and all of those challenges, that we were here to support each other and our members. So that was the uh, challenge that we were up to. And I think we came through it. Yes, we had a BCP, a business continuity plan, We activated that in the weeks prior to having to close our branches. We created a four phase plan to kind of work through the pandemic. We had hiccups as you would naturally think with any plan, even the best laid plans don't always go as planned. But as long as you remain agile, you can work through these challenges that we've all faced. Again, both at home and in our work environment. But a year later, we just opened our headquarters branch this past Friday for members to walk in and do their transactions. We've had the drive-ups available since last June, and we're contemplating what to do with our federal building branches, because quite frankly, the federal building branches are basically ghost town. Most federal employees are being asked to stay at home unless they're critical, at least through September. So we're not exactly sure what we're gonna do with our federal building branches quite yet, but we're working through that.
0: So it sounds, David, like the, the thread through the pivot was about care, right? So care for the members.
1: Care and communication. Mm. Care and communication. You cannot over-communicate in an emergency. You just can't. You've got to be available. You've got to be listening. And you just have to be present. You have to be in the moment um, with each other and with your members. So there is that level of support in very different ways from the past. Caring is critical. Communication is critical. As a leader... As a co worker, as a member. Mm.
0: So, through the pandemic, when some of the practices changed to meet the needs of the members and the staff, what outcomes now have occurred because of the pivot?
1: Well, we are still, in essence, mostly working from home. If people have to go into the office, that being our headquarters, they go in for what they need to do and then we ask them to return home. From a balance sheet or financial perspective, We have grown the deposits of the credit union far more than what we expected, a lot of it because people couldn't spend the money that they were earning in their paychecks, or, of course, there was all the government assistance that was coming to a lot of our members, and they were depositing their funds at the credit union. So we've seen a a significant growth in the assets of the credit union. We have been out there aggressively lending to members. We had several special loan programs to help our members through these challenges. We waived fees so members wouldn't have to worry about the fees. We deferred loan payments because we said to everybody, what's most important is to keep a roof over your head and to keep food on the table and to remain safe and healthy. So we were really out there very aggressively communicating those messages to our members. And I think it resonated quite well. I can't speak for the banking sector if they were doing the same. Of course, there was some federal regulations that required banks and financial institutions to do forbearances, to suspend evictions and foreclosures and car repossessions. And that is more on a local level now, as far as what credit unions and banks are allowed to do. But for us, the outcome was the members are okay. The members that have been stressed financially and otherwise, we've been there for them. We still are there for them because we are far from out of the woods and we want to stand by them to make sure that as life returns to a new normal, that their lives are secure and they're safe.
0: What do you think that new normal is going to look like?
1: Boy, I wish I had a crystal ball to <laughs> answer that <laughs> question. I think it's, you know, it's evolving in the household. You know, I think it's unique to each household what, what the new normal look like and, of course, where those folks work, if, if those employers are going to require them to come back into an office setting. I don't really know. I know the banking sector was already changing radically with a lot of uh, what we call fintech, financial technology companies coming into play like Chime, Upgrade, Lending Tree. A lot of these folks are coming out of uh, Silicon Valley and they really are in many ways upending the financial services landscape. And I think they're going to continue to be a big player in this space. So I can speak for FedChoice that we are pivoting into a very digital first type of environment. So we're not depending upon having branches for a member engagement, for opening member accounts. It is gonna be much more FinTech-like. We were moving in that direction, Debbie, anyway, before the pandemic, but this accelerated that transition pretty radically because of what we were all forced to enter into when pretty much retail banking closed, as did much of retail. So. For us, it's going to be much more fintech-like. We'll be building partnerships with some of these fintech firms that some people might be familiar with and continue to provide value, provide convenience. In many ways, I'm thinking that the future of financial services will be much more user-friendly, especially with technology that you can do pretty much that you need to do or want to do from your phone or from a computer. But the need to actually go anywhere to do any banking is going to be a thing of the past and in the not too distant future. And for our members that are not so comfortable with that technology for a variety of reason, reasons, including perhaps the concerns of security, that being account security, we're just holding their hand and trying to educate and inform them as to really how secure mobile and online banking is today. And all the security protocols that are now in place to make sure that you're banking online or mobile is very secure.
0: We'll take a short break and be back with David Bunch. The Macfarlane Group works with nonprofit social impact organizations who are determined to serve more. We help leadership meet their intended outcomes, expand their portfolio of services, and provide greater impact to those they serve. Our process brings clarity, confidence, and control to their work. Clarity by working with the organization to achieve meaningful results, confidence in themselves and their team to implement their strategy, and control to take high-value actions to achieve their intended results. Let's connect to see how we can walk alongside you to develop a strategy for you and your organization for greater impact to serve more. Contact us at www.themcfarlangroup.com. And now, back to our conversation. How much do you think this kind of global restart in the finance world, right? So access to resources is going to help in the need to provide a more equitable playing field for people?
1: That's a great question. I think as more of society becomes comfortable with technology, and some of that's just an element of time, the more access there will be for people to get banking that's, as you say, equitable. In other words, um, good banking terms, good bank products will be available to really everybody. That's the goal, is to make sure that people have access to a good priced product. These cash checking operations, quite frankly, are, I think, the worst thing ever made. And I really hate those types of businesses, quite frankly. I'll use the word hate, and that's not a word I use very often, because they really try to take advantage of People that either have limited choices to do banking or did enough. So I think to give everybody an equitable, fair chance to have solid banking options is both opening up channels to that type of banking, which will be, I think, to a great extent, technology-based, and also education. Education is so important for people to understand what's the difference between a checking account and a money market account. And how can you improve your credit score so you can get cheaper financing when you're out there shopping for a car or looking for a home, how to get people out of debt or to help them turn around their credit if it initially started off uh, not going in a good direction. Education is critical. And there's a lot of it out there. There's a lot of information out there. But we can do a better job as a society to educate and give people a chance a fair, equitable chance to have a firm financial future.
0: Yes. I also think the digitization of finances does allow, it takes time, but will allow developing countries to be more in the conversation and not feel as though they might be in the, if we were to say that the, you know, there's kind of rungs in the circle of that conversation, that they feel they're kind of on the out side of it waiting for access, and that they can now be part of the conversation. And I think building the new normal so that the world is welcome together, I think, is extremely important. I think this digitization can allow for that. Mm -hmm. David, what did you learn about your team as they faced what truly was unexpected, as well as this lingering. I mean, Adam Grant calls it languishing, but this sense of when is it going to end? And then is it going to end? And then what's it going to look like when it ends and how that's going to impact both professional and personal lives? What did you learn about your team?
1: That resiliency is amazing. Human resiliency is strong. The determination that at least our team had to stick together through fear, And fear is very real. And there was a lot of that in the past year and a half. The uncertainty, which always breeds fear in most people, was very much there. So I have to say with our team and to a great extent our members, it was the fear we needed to overcome and realize that we're in this together. We will come through this together. We don't exactly know what that future will hold, but we know that we'll be through it together. And that's powerful. That's very powerful. And we conveyed that to our members and we certainly pushed that with each other. And again, I I can't overstate the importance of transparency, communication, being honest, being understanding and respectful, being empathetic, as we said earlier, caring. People matter, our staff matters. And when you build and you sustain that sense of community, it, it really comes back in so many ways powerfully and thankfully our staff has proven itself time and time again to be just a great cohesive collective of people that really care not only within their unique teams but across the organization if there's one group of people for example we had a few months ago a small third party compromise of some of our cards out there our credit cards on the dark web some of them were exposed we learned about it and we had some members calling us so we had to move some of our resources from one part of the organization to our e-commerce team to help support member concerns and calls and address their, their concerns about the security of their plastic cards and their wallets. So I think the short answer is caring and being there for each other through thick and thin, being committed to each other, being transparent, you know, being honest with each other saying, I get it. We all have some fears and concerns here. And it's important that we are aware of it, that we acknowledge it and we work through it, talk through it together.
0: During all of it, mm. is there, was there a moment where you made a mistake or wish you could take a moment back?
1: Yeah, yeah. They're, they're all, you know, we, we always learn from our mistakes and no one's perfect. Certainly, I've made more than my fair share <laughs> over the years. And you have to own it, you know, first own it, accept it, acknowledge it and see what you can can do to to learn from it. For us, it was trying to balance the needs of the members with the needs of the staff. And we clearly did not always have agreement on how to handle that balance uh, within the executive leadership group. And there were moments where there was such an overriding fear about staff safety that even though I didn't have that same level of fear, Debbie, I had to acknowledge that it was there and kind of remain silent, if you will, and say, okay, until this fear subsides, until there is a sense of of renewed security, then what I would like to do will have to wait. And sometimes when we went through those tough meetings, those tough conversations, I remained silent when perhaps I shouldn't have. Uh, Because I was concerned, for example, again, I get back to our older members and the fact that they were perhaps more vulnerable in many ways than our other members that were much more savvy with technology, trying to balance that out. I know some members that really struggled through the initial phases of the pandemic that I just wish we would have done a bit more for. But we also had our own staff that had their own very real fears and concerns that overrode some of those early decisions that we made at the beginning of the pandemic.
0: That's so kind of you to be so honest about that. Leadership in a time that has never happened before, I'm not talking about pandemic 1917, just just not knowing it. It must have felt like at times, for everyone involved in in the community at the credit union, that there was something in the air, right? And we don't know where it is, and we don't know what it's supposed to do yet. We're supposed to continue on, but may I say again, we don't know where it is, we don't know what it's going to do. And that ability to lead an organization through that—you spoke about care and communication for your members, and I, I know that you infused that in your leadership during that time, but. But David, it also feels as though this notion of calm, active listening, Mm -hmm. and we mentioned transparency, but I think also humility.
1: Oh, absolutely! um, And staying
0: true to those kind of the core values, which I gather just from you know the beginning of this conversation, is we're about the people, not the product. We're about the people, and so that's our lens, that's our filter through everything, and even showing that moment of. Listening to the disagreement, not pushing ahead on a particular thing that may have had to do with being of more service to the older members. While it would be great to recast it, it may have in the long run been been exactly the right thing to do. So that it's one thing to give voice, it's another to feel as though your community has heard it. Doesn't mean it has to agree, but has heard it. So to have that inner ability to say, all right, I need to look at this from 30,000, right? Where's my win and my gain if I I can push through? But I'm not sure that that really helps, particularly in a time when calm is needed. And it sounds like leadership-wise, for you, the lead was clear, right? Because in chaos, it's very hard for people not to know who they're supposed to look to but it's almost as though you were in real time, kind of 360. So we're we're headed this way. I want to make sure you guys know that this fear is real. We get it. It's absolutely unknown. We've got to take care of you. We've got to take care of members. We need to keep moving forward. And that's a lot of things to um, kind of juggle, if you will. What's one of the major takeaways for you in terms of, I mean, you had to pivot, right? It was completely required of you. Absolutely. So what would be one takeaway for you, just as a human, that from this whole episode of COVID and global reset, and what's one thing that is a takeaway for you?
1: Boy, that's a great question. You know, as a CEO of a financial institution, we're small, we're 80 plus people on staff and about 24,000, almost 25,000 members. It's being humble It's listening very carefully, being so respectful of other opinions, which, yes, can be other feelings, which in this particular scenario dealt with a lot of fear and uncertainty. Listening to it very carefully and trying to understand it, even if my reaction to it was perhaps not the same as as others. And then acknowledging it and saying, okay, this is really the way we need to go is we need to first take care of each other and that became the core part of the pivot and through taking care of each other then we take care of the members we serve and being there for them through their fears you know that they had which were real and all the time being supportive of each other and by the way it was important to also at some points inject some fun doing things that would be with the staff fun, getting the kids involved in a, what we've and We've done this a number of times where we have a book reading and we just get the staff's kids on a um, virtual call and we read through a, a kid's book that has a message to it and getting families involved. So it's just not the staff person, but it's the family as well. Since really, in many ways, we've gotten to know much more about each other's families than we ever would have if we came to an office every day. So part of the takeaway is, I think we have stronger relationships with each other. And that's a beautiful thing that really would not have happened otherwise if we were working in a normal office environment. And that's a beautiful thing. We understand each other better. We can appreciate and and, uh, empathize with each other and the challenges that we all have in our personal lives. And through that, our own relationships and levels of support are going to be better. And we're going to be stronger as a result of it. So... I'm optimistic about the future. I am very optimistic about this pivot and what I think will ultimately net-net of some loss that will happen when change doesn't bring everybody along, that the changes will be positive for our industry and will be positive for society as a whole.
0: I think that's wonderful. I think that's a good to wrap right there, David. I don't think I could have asked for a better close. (laughs) David, thank you so much for being a part of this. It's so great to connect with you. I'm so proud of of all of your accomplishments. Um, And I appreciate you joining us on 3am What's Keeping You Up at Night.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity, Debbie, to join you today. And I I wish you and everyone listening and your families uh, great success. And of course, stay healthy, stay safe as we uh, hopefully wrap up this journey with COVID here in the not too distant future.
0: Terrific. David, thank you. Thanks. 3 a.m. What's Keeping You Up at Night series, Pivot Through the Pandemic, continues to press upon us that our focus on those we serve is paramount to successfully moving through the challenges brought on by COVID. Our response to our constituents provides new ways to think about the delivery of our mission and can, in fact, cause us to consider fresh opportunities to do and serve more. I am grateful to David Bunch, one of my favorite buds from Debbie Nile High School in Arlington, Virginia, for sharing with us today that to simply care fully about those you serve can get you and your organization through a a once-in-a-lifetime challenge and come out stronger for all of it. And my thanks to all of you. The 3AM Podcast continues our series next month. The McFarlane Group produces the podcast and Relationary Marketing brings their outstanding production talent to every single episode, and we are grateful to them. The McFarlane Group exists to support those who are determined to disrupt the status quo to make the world better. Let us know how we can support you change the lives of those you serve. Until next time.